Hello, and welcome to the latest Traveling Tube radio show. I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. And you might be able to hear the sound of our bike shoes crunching on the pavement. Yes. Unfortunately, we've had to drop our bikes off for a little bit. Um, they need a little bit of uh, tender loving care, I think. They do. We've managed to break just about every eyelet that connects the rack to the frame. And so we're in Perth, and there's an excellent frame builder here called Quantum. So we took our babies off to the bike shop, and now we're bikeless for two days, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. We're completely lost. It's like someone just chopped their legs off. We just kind of walked out of the bike shop and sat there and looked at each other and said, Now what? What do we do? We don't don't know how to take public transport. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we figured it out how to walk again. (laughs) One foot in front of the other, it works. Yeah, it still works after two and a bit years on the road. And now we've got the time, while we're waiting for our bikes to be fixed, to tell you all about the latest interview we have for you. Yeah, we met a nice couple in uh, just south of Perth. And they had been all around Australia, all the way around Australia. And they've actually done a little bit up to Alaska and down into the States through Canada. So uh, that was really interesting to talk to them. Yeah, their names are Andrew and Joanne Hooker. They ride trikes, recumbent trikes. And they just had a wealth of stories and tips and tricks and everything from the road. In fact, we stayed with them for two nights, and usually we go to bed pretty early. And we just stayed up talking all night, didn't we? Yeah. There wasn't a moment over, even over the breakfast table, we were still talking and telling stories. So. <laughs> changing, changing stories, changing ideas, and it was just wonderful. Anyway, at one point we did actually sit Andrew down. Joanne was very busy making Christmas lunch. So while she was working hard, uh, we sat Andrew down and we asked him a few questions about life on the road. So, here he is. My name is Andrew Hooker. I'm a uh, nearly 50-something person. Married, three kids, nine grandchildren, and enjoy cycle touring. And tell us how you got into cycle touring. What was the first moment that you said, hey, this sounds like fun, I want to travel on my bicycle? That was when I was pretty much um, had enough of my, my career. I was uh, 25 years in the Royal Australian Navy and it was time to do something different and uh, my good wife decided that she could ride a bicycle so we were, it was her fault so we took off. And I know we were talking, I know some of these things you've told me already because we yeah. talked for so long last night and it was wonderful. It was good. But I'll get you to repeat a few of the, a few of the stories oh, from the audience. Can I remember them? So, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit more about the situation that led up to that because you were a little bit stressed in your job and had to make a decision to make a real life change. Sure, we, we, we've had, we've, so we've had two trips. We've had around Australia, which was um, 23 months in, in total, uh, 19,000 kilometres, and we did uh, 18 months of that was actually on the road. And then we've had another trip since then, which was around North America. The first trip was uh, around Australia, and that was you know, a culmination of time at work, Things, you know, it was time to leave, time to move on, time to do something else, but just didn't know what. Joanne had uh, been following some other people uh, touring, some friends of ours, who are now friends of ours. They had sent out a monthly email, or fortnightly, or whatever it was, and uh, I came back from a trip and had enough. I'd been overseas and had enough. I wanted to do something different. Joanne mentioned, oh, I think I could do that, what Patrick and Sharon have been doing, and, and so that was it. That was Friday lunchtime, and Saturday morning we were... We'd planned, planned what we were going to do, made a decision, then went to work on Tuesday morning and said, hasta la vista, baby, I'm out of here. That's a pretty quick decision. I mean, 
there are a lot of people out there who dream about a big trip uh, yes. and they dream about yeah. it for months or years and, yeah. and never do it. So why do you think you were able to come home on Friday and just quit? I, th- I think if I think for me it's just the fact that it, I, one I was ready for it, two Joanne was was happy to do it, and three it was there was no there was no sit down and analyze the decision. It was. Make it. And why did you pick around Australia? I mean, you could have started a little more gently, a smaller goal yeah, maybe, but... Yeah, we could have done, but why not? <laughs> why not? Um, I, look, I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't even know that it was... It, the plan was to go around Australia. The plan was to just get on the road, get away from you know everything and just ride and, and see what happened. As it turned out, you know... I often say to people, well, I just we just went around the corner to get a bottle of milk and got lost. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and take us through that process. Okay, so you went in on Tuesday, mm-hmm. you handed in your notice, yep. and then what? How, how long did you have until you actually wrote out the door? That was, uh, I think that was March, and we wrote out, out the door in November. So we um, we pretty much sold off, we had a grass sale, sold off all the all our extra stuff that we that we had. Um, we kept one set of furniture, one set of what we needed, put that in a storage unit. Um, we were in, in uh, Navy accommodation at the time, so it was a case of, you know, put the keys in the metre box and just ride down the road. And presumably so, you'd already saved up your money before you quit your job? We or? had some money, um, but I was also lucky enough to have long service leave, so I was getting paid for part of the trip as well. So, yeah. Well, but there did come the day where, you know... I'm unemployed today. <laughs> what a wonderful feeling. No more checks. <laughs> yeah, no more work. And in those, those six months or so that you had to prepare yourself, were there any moments of, of sheer panic or, oh, my goodness, have we done the right thing? Or The day before. <laughs> when it was entirely too late Look, to stop? I, I, I don't remember any. Joanne might remember some, but I, I, I certainly don't. I'm, I went away for another trip after the decision was made. I went... Um, peacekeeping in the Solomon Islands, and you know that that consumed my time and my thoughts, um, my downtime. You know my resources were, were limited, so I didn't have time to surf the net and look up things and think about things, and because I was stuck on a warship in the you know in the middle of the ocean, so um, that took over. And then when I came back, we had uh, I had some holidays. I had relatives come from the UK. They came and went. A visiting cyclist came and went. Next, you know, we went. So, what was that first day like? Do you remember it? I do. Um, I do very, very well. It was a wonderful feeling to ride down the road, and it was a little bit daunting in the fact that oh, we just left everything we knew behind. But it was—you could feel the sort of the freedom kicking in. And the other thing was that it was—we uh, were unfit. We neither of us had done any training. You know, I don't think we'd even ridden the trikes fully loaded. We just got on and rode. So. There was a lot of sweating, a lot of, a lot of huffing and puffing, and you know, my God, <laughs> what have we got? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and my heart was saying, "What the heck are you doing?" <laughs> and did you have that wonderful experience like we did, where for the first, well, it depends on how long it takes you, but a few weeks or a few months, everything is new. Yes, yes, life is new because there's a complete, you know, living in a tent. Living with what you can carry on your on your bike, a total different lifestyle. Um, you know, I said last night that I took my watch off and put it on my handlebars, and I've never worn it since. You know, life, yeah, was totally different. I remember riding down one one part of a road, and there was um, 
hay bales in the in the in the paddock. And you know how when you watch the Tour de France and the and the cameras sort of like a bicycle and they're going down the road and it pans over over, over onto the fields of the paddocks and you can see the hay bales or the or the sunflowers or whatever it is as it, as the peloton goes down the road. It's exactly what it was like for me and I thought, how bloody good is this? <laughs> and was it all good or were there some oh, moments? No, we, we had our moments. Yeah, yeah we had our moments. and um, give, we... give us some of the challenges that you faced in those first few months. Uh, hills. Learning how to live in, in and out of a tent, you know, how to get in and out of the tent and, and how to put the tent up. Making sure we'd cooked and cleaned and and everything before it got dark because we didn't have lights. Learning how to go to the toilet in the bush, you know, how to crap in the woods, as they say, um, you know, having never done it, you know, before. Dealing with uh, dealing with weather, you know, you get what Mother Nature throws at you, and whether you like it or not, it's coming. So you know, deal with it. I remember one time we were going through the Stirling Ranges down south, and the uh, we had hail and just. It was not pretty, but you know what? What a great experience! We were wet through. We were we were just soaked. We pulled into a roadhouse somewhere. We sat down. We had a hamburger and a coffee or something. And then when we went to get up and to leave, there was a big puddle of water under the table on the floor because you know we were just so wet. Just learning about ourselves, our own limits, our own um, desires, and and how to live with each other. You know, we were we'd gone from. Joanne being at home, me being away, to 24-7 with each other. I mean, interesting concept. Yeah, people said to us before we left and in the early days, they said, if you can survive this trip together, you, you survive anything. anything. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I don't remember us having any fights. We, you know, I probably got cranky a few times because that's just me, but I don't remember us ever saying, you know, that's it, I'm going home, or, you know, you can sleep under the tree because I've got the tent tonight or... You know, we'd never had any of that that I remember anyway. Joanne might say different, but... <laughs> did, did you find that you had to kind of uh, learn to read each other's moods? For example, we found we never really had fights either in the early yeah. days, but sometimes we got hungrier than we realized or more tired oh, than yeah. we realized, and then we'd start snapping at each other. And, and yeah. after a certain point, yeah. we start to read yeah. each other's signs and we say, you yeah. know what, you're hungry. Why don't yeah. we stop for a little break? Or... Well, no, I ne- never really noticed that, but what, what we did notice was that the only time we... we had any sort of friction was when we were trying to put that stupid tent up and where we were going to put it. You know, we always we always worked on the back of the tent went went south because that's where the weather comes from for us. And uh, so that's where it went. But, you know, oh, I think it should go over there. No, it should go on a different angle. You know, we'll move it five degrees. Well, I don't care. You know, just, just put the damn thing up, you know. And uh, once the tent was up, and everything was fine, and we were sat in the trucks and having a cup of coffee. Well, yeah, we were fine. Best friends again. Best friends again. But, yeah, <laughs> just really stupid stuff, you know. And um, I think that went on for the whole trip. Well, you never I mean, found just, a resolution uh, to no, it. I don't just... think we ever did. I think we, in the end, I think Joanne just gave up and just, just put it where you want it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to ask you for some of your impressions about Australia because it's a huge country. Sure. It's a country that a lot of people dream of coming to. Mm-hmm. And... If you were going to talk to a cyclist or looking back on your own trip, what would you say were some of the highlights? I mean, can you give us like a top five list? If, if, if you're going to sure. come to Australia, gosh, yeah. you can't miss these parts. What's... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you need to go up north. You need to get away from the east coast and, and the cities. Just get out into the, into the outback. Get out into the bush. Go through the Kimberley and the Pilbara um, and you know, across the top of Queensland. 
where you know you go to a place like Cloncurry in in central Queensland, where someone said to us, you know, there's at night you'll be able to see, there's no ambient light, you'll be able to see stars from that horizon to that horizon, and it's true. I mean, it's just magnificent. The sky is unbelievable. Um, get up in amongst the red dirt, and the you know the the places up north are just spectacular, just magnificent, ancient, you know, just raw. Raw country, vast, vast open, open areas. The wildlife's pretty good. You get up north and camp in the bush. Don't always go to caravan parks and that sort of stuff. Just, just live in the bush. It's, it's, that would have to be at the top of the tree. Is that dangerous? Do you think too many poisonous snakes and spiders oh, and you know? Sure. There's spiders, there's snakes, there's creepy crawlies, there's scorpions, there's all these bugs and bits and pieces that will kill you. You can get run over on the road too. So you know, I mean. You know, you just need to be sensible about it. Look where you're putting your feet. Look where you put your hands. You know, make enough noise, snakes disappear. You know, they'll they'll take off before you get there if, if you make enough noise. Yeah, you just need to be a little bit careful. But you know, if you are not going to do it because of the snakes and the spiders, you got the wrong. You know, you're missing out. And what else do you think is important for, for people to know for touring in Australia? For example, I think it's quite a dry country. Yep. Maybe you need to carry a bit more water, water and supplies. Water, or? water is an issue in many places you know, where I would recommend people go to really enjoy the country. Water is an issue. It's very, very sparse. The, you look on a map and there's a thousand rivers, but they're all sand. There's no water there. And uh, when there is water there, you don't want to be there because it's flooding. So... <laughs> So a lot of it's bore water. You'll get refused water if you want to just get some water from, from roadhouses and places like that. It, I mean, if you really need it, they'll give it to you. But be prepared to carry water and always, always keep the water tank full. Tell us just about going across the Nullarbor because I know you said to us you were yeah. carrying a lot of water on that <laughs> we, trip. Yeah, we, our, our trip across the Nullarbor, the first time we uh, and up north, we, we carried a, about 40 litres of water between us at probably the highest load that we carried and that's about uh, we were all using seven to nine liters of water a day drinking cooking you know washing so um, that was you know four four nearly five days worth I suppose we'd get out of that but constantly on the lookout for water you can't afford not to have it did you ever have a close call where you ran a little bit we didn't on our Australian trip but on our North American trip we in Alaska funnily enough we <laughs> we ran out of water um that's funny but, because in Alaska yeah, you there's think there's water, water everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, That's yeah. right. So, but no, in, in Australia we didn't we didn't have any issues with with water. We we just kept the water bags for all time, or we went without. Ration water carefully. Take a water filter. <laughs> when you finished your trip around Australia, yeah. how did your impression of the country change compared to what you thought about it before you left? I was going to say huge, but I don't know that I had an impression of it before we went. You know, we left from Perth, we went across the Nullarbor, which, you know, is the big, bad, mysterious world of the Nullarbor. Um, sure, it's out back, but it's a highway, so you've got plenty of traffic. Um, you go up the east coast and there's people everywhere. I mean, most Australians live on the east coast of Australia, so, you know, there's plenty of people. Go across the top, is uh, it's a lot more open, a lot more arid, uh, a lot more bush distances in between are a lot further. I think we probably didn't realise the distances between places. And that's that was probably our biggest impression. But the thing that really stuck in our in our minds was the just the majestic beauty of what's out there. I mean, it's just spectacular for us. It was it was anyway. Yeah, distance, beauty, 
harshness. You know, you'll die in a heartbeat if you're not careful, but just be careful. Was there ever a point when you thought, why am I doing this on a bicycle? Oh, I mean, yeah. Why don't I get a caravan yeah, and, you absolutely. know, cold water, yeah. air conditioning? Yeah, every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> and you still stuck to your bikes. <laughs> no, we, um, oh, that was probably, you know, you know, it's like yourself touring, you get days where you, you just go on automatic and you just tour for the day. You have a great day. You don't think about the hills. You don't think about the weather. You just, you know, you just, you're in the zone and you're, and you're doing it. And other days, from the minute you open your eyes, it's like, oh, God, you know, what the hell am I here for? So it just depends on the day and the mood and how you're feeling. But, yeah, there was a few days where we said, uh, you know. And we used to get to the point where we'd say, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. And the answer was, they're working. <laughs> Everything looks good compared to a day in the office. Huh? Absolutely. Well, somebody said a bad day on the road is better than any good day in the office. So... Yeah, give and take. And then you finished your trip around Australia. Yeah. And you came home. Yeah. And then before long, you were packing it all up and going <laughs> again. So tell us how you went from one trip yeah. to home well, into another a, one. A friend of ours said we shouldn't have stopped. We should have just met our family on the side of the road when we got back to Perth, said hello and kept going. And, uh, and as much as I hate to admit it, they were probably right. You know, that travel, travel bug, once you get it, it's hard to get rid of. And it, uh, it took hold... Obviously, you know, finance, we're, I mean, we're not rich, but we're rich from our experiences, not from money. So we, uh, we went back to work, and um, yeah, a couple of years later, we were, we'd, on our Australian trip, we'd met some Canadians, um, those darn Canadians again, and uh, <laughs> they, uh, unbeknownst to us, that next trip was conceived with them, and yeah, we, uh, we planned a trip to, or I planned a trip, I should say, to go and visit them across Canada, around the US, and somewhere in there, Alaska came into the picture as well. So we got back in September, October 2006, sorry, 2003 we got back, and in June 2006, we were in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. <laughs> so, you know, once once we got the idea of what we wanted to do, the savings kicked in, and the trip planning kicked in, and, you know, the rest was history. And why did you pick North America? It's a safe country, isn't it? Developed, civilised, <laughs> all those it. good things. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. They've got proper roads, and you know, look, it was, it was that was part of it, and because the adventure bit of you know Russia or or somewhere else hadn't quite kicked in. Um, safety, you know, they speak English. We don't speak any other languages, so you know, English was a was a good thing. Monetary system was a similar system. The government system was, you know, we kind of felt comfortable with all of that. And the fact that, you know, the Canadian friends that we, Murray and Joyce, had said to us, come on over, you know, we've decided you should come over and tour over here. So that's that's what we did. And well, what, but I don't know how Alaska got into there. I just don't know. <laughs> well, it was just up there. No, it's a bit ashamed to miss it out. <laughs> because it's there like Everest, you know, you just got to do it. So, so yeah. I remember you saying that your friends very kindly drove all your gear up to the they tip did. of Alaska yeah. and you went and met them. Yeah, we, um, we couldn't get our, all our gear up to Alaska because the plane that was going up was, you know, it was pterodactyl airlines. I mean, you know, very small plane and, and we just couldn't get the gear on it. And then out of the blue, Murray and Joyce said, well, you know, we've just been thinking about going to the, to the Northern Ocean and the Southern Ocean, so, you know, we'll just take your gear. You know, sure. Like, they're just going to drive 4,000, 5,000 kilometres or whatever it is and take our gear because they can. So they did. Um, I mean, obviously, we assisted with, you know, money and things like that, but 
how do you put a price on on people doing that? I mean, you just you can't. And uh, so they they loaded all our gear, hooked their trailer on the back of their truck, and away they went. And a month later, we we flew up north and landed, flew into Prudhoe Bay, and there's ice and snow, and there's a wind blowing, and it's like, what the hell are we doing here? We're not in Australia <laughs> no, anymore. <laughs> no. Toto, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, I remember, I remember flying across Alaska, looking at the ground, and it looked like a skeleton. You know, just all the ridges were high, and the the contrast between the ridges and the lowland with the snow, and it looked like a skeleton. And I'm looking at this, thinking, "What the hell have I got us into?" And uh, we landed at Prudhoe Bay, and there's snow and ice and everywhere around. And I get off the plane, and you get that that Arctic blast just hits you, and you think. Jeez, I'm going to be living in, in a tent in this. What time of year was it? That was June. 3rd of June we landed there. So um, Just before summer then? Yeah, it was just before summer. Everything was going to get warmer from then. The Arctic Ocean was still frozen. We were walking on it. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Did you sort of think, maybe I should just get back on the plane? And <laughs> Well, no, I didn't think of that. But what I did think of was that uh, if it didn't work out too good, I could hitch, we could hitch a ride with Murray and Joyce because, you know... They had they our gear in, they're going back anyway, and they had our gear in the back, so, you know. <laughs> and and how was the start of that trip? must have been kind of tough. I mean, different country, dirt roads. Uh, the start of that trip, it was. Different country, dirt roads, different weather, different climate. But the, the, I mean, the first two days were great because Murray and Joyce were there, right? So, you know, they would drive ahead and find somewhere to camp, and we'd ride, and that was great. But I remember the, the end of day two when we'd climbed up, to um, Sagwon Bluffs and we sort of come up off this Arctic plain and um, we, get, we get there to the campsite and um, they hadn't set their tent or anything up so I thought oh maybe they're doing it later and they said well you know that's great yeah and you know we'll be off now and I'm thinking you what? and all of a sudden the reality really hit me that here we were in Alaska top of the world Polar bears on one side, grizzlies on the other, and a dirt road down the middle. And I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> and you without a gun. And I was without a gun, yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to explain that one. This is another comment from the evening before. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. We, um, every American we, we came across um, wanted to know if we had a gun. Once they found out what we were doing, they wanted to know if we had a gun because nobody in America goes anywhere without a gun. And there we were going to ride, you know, 500 miles down the down the Dalton Highway, gravel road in the middle of Alaska, and no gun. Like, are you nuts? What's wrong with you? Yeah, we just start. I mean, we didn't consider that we would need one. We didn't think that we would even be able to get one. But why? I mean, we maybe there's a bit of Australian psyche. You know, you don't need a gun in Australia. Why the hell would you need one in Alaska? And just to clarify, this was for the bears that they thought for you needed bears, one. For the bears, for nothing else, yeah. And in the end, someone gave you one. They did. They did. We uh, we met a guy halfway down the uh, down the Dalton, halfway, or maybe a week into the Dalton, and um, we stayed at a uh, one of the road camps, and he was there, and he 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 wouldn't let us leave without taking a gun with us. So we just added a bit more weight to the trike, and you know, <laughs> took this paperweight that went bang. He, he gave me the he gave me a three five seven Magnum with two boxes of, of shells. It just sat in the trike and. Did nothing basically. So you never felt tempted never, to pull it out. Never no, had a did, scary bear experience. Or? No, we had we had a bear experience, but you know, never. I mean, it was that was over and done with before we even even thought about the gun. I remember once I went, I walked back down the hill to help push Joanne up the hill because she was struggling with the hill and the weight, 
and I do remember that I picked up the gun and I walked back down the hill with the gun in my hand and then pushed her up the hill just in case, you know, something came out of nowhere. But, you know, uh, and uh, when we got back to his place in Fairbanks, I gave it back to him and he said, uh, so did you, did you fire it? Did you use it? I said, no. He goes, well, I'll just let one off now. Yeah, right, no worries. <laughs> it's, just, it's a no. different culture. Yeah, it's a different culture. And, uh, you know, yeah, I was glad to get rid of it to be honest. <laughs> now, one of the things you were telling us you did have problems with mm. in the States was bureaucracy, and that might be something oh, that yeah. other people who aren't lucky to possess Canadian yeah. or American passports <laughs> yeah. well, you know, all, all of our countries have these issues. And, um, you know, I understand, the, I understand the American bureaucratic issue of illegal immigrants. I mean, you know, they're flooding across the border down south, and, you know, there's various schools of thought about all of that, but... The um, the issue we had was that when you when we entered the US, even to go to Canada, the mere fact you go anywhere near the US, you know the US government takes control, and you, we ended up with a, with a form called an I ninety four, and that form because we had a visa, that form allows us six months in the country, and there's a date on that form, and you've got to leave by that date. Now you know if you're going to be in the US and go to Canada or Mexico or anywhere around those parts, you're still in the US as far as the government's concerned. So whilst you may think that you, the time stops when you cross the border into Canada or it stops when you go into Mexico, think again because it doesn't. It continues on. So if you had a month in the US and then went to Canada for four months, come back into the US, you haven't got much time. Don't plan on too much. The issue is you've got to get rid of the form or leave the country or do something, leave the continent because the American government classes North America as their backyard. Don't bother with, it, with their website because you will not find any information. The information you require is not there and it's not there because they don't want you to know the system. If you know the system, you can circumvent it. If you don't know the system, you don't know what you're trying to circumvent. So, so from the point of view of someone who wants to go from Alaska, say, down to Mexico and maybe further, yeah. what's, Plan, what's the advice that you would give? Don't, fl- don't land anywhere in the US as your first port of entry into, into North America. You can't go direct to the, to the top of Alaska. So if you go to Anchorage, if you fly into Anchorage, you're six months and the clock is ticking from the day you get there. So if you linger in Canada, be prepared to catch a bus or something to get out of the US before that I-94 expires when you're in the lower 48. For me, go to Canada first, then go into the US, then go into Mexico. So make sure that you know, the US is your last, you know, last point out of the North American continent because, or you're just going to keep going south into Central America and down because, yeah, they'll catch you. <laughs> so let's go back to your route again. So you come down through Alaska into yeah. Canada across yeah. the Rockies? Or? Uh, we, okay, we, we flew to Prudhoe Bay. We then rode from down, down the Dalton Highway. We came down to Fairbanks, down to Toke, um, up across the top of the World Highway and crossed back into Canada in the Yukon. Came down through uh, Dawson City, down through the Yukon, to, uh, top of the World Highway, Dawson City, Whitehorse, and then down to Skagway. We took the inside passage down through, well, through the inside passage, and landed back in Canada at, at Prince Rupert, and then rode from Prince Rupert to Calgary, up through the Rockies and, and through uh, Icefields Parkway and, you know, take my breath away um, area. Then down back into the US at uh, Rooseville. Um, to Missoula in Montana, 
across to the coast of Portland, down the west coast to LA. We cut inland from there to go through the Mojave Desert, ended up down at Columbus um, on, on the Mexican border, went across the border for lunch in New Mexico, because um, you can, and uh, just to say we'd been there. And, uh, and then that was where we pretty much decided we were going to end, end the trip. So the initial trip was to do Canada, the US, uh, and Alaska. And the plan was to do three oceans on three wheels. So Arctic, Pacific, Atlantic. Of course, we never made the Atlantic as we came home. So, What was the decision behind coming, coming home? home? Why did you cut it short? Oh, we'd had enough. That's pretty cut and dry. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, you can dissect. We'd had enough into various various things. We look, we were looking at finance. Finance wasn't that much of an issue, but obviously the longer we went, the less the less we had when we got back to Australia to, you know, to set ourselves back up or to go somewhere else. Uh, so that was con- a consideration. Um, the, uh, but I think it was just that we'd had enough. We'd had enough of the American sort of thing, whatever that is. And the other thing was we had this I-94, you've got to be out of the country at some stage very, very soon. Will we make the Atlantic Ocean before that time is up? Do we want to rush it? You know, Are we going to cycle all of it? Are we going to catch a train? Are we going to catch a bus? Well, you can't because your trikes and everything are too big. You know, So there was a whole, whole range of factors in there that, that just you know, really came into play. But to put it in a nutshell, we just had enough, so we said, bugger it, let's go home. And you had no guilt about not making the Atlantic? Or I had, had some, yeah. had some because there was something that was unfinished. Our good friends, Murray and Joyce, Murray had gone there with their son, had gone to Florida, and uh, so he, he walked in the Atlantic Ocean for us. So, you know, we'll, That's finish, nice. we'll finish that another time. <laughs> another trip, another, another good trip. reason to go on another absolutely, trip. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And when yeah. you look back on North America, what were some of your favourite parts or some of the things that stood out for you? The people. Um, the, the people were wonderful. We, we stayed with some, some Americans, Canadians. You know, we had some really, really great people. Just giving, you know, a place in Carmax, for instance, where you know, the local shopkeeper said, oh, you can just come and stay at my place when we asked about camping. You know, because you don't want to camp in town, it's too dangerous or whatever it was. You know, come out to my place. Um, you know, Murray and Joyce driving all our gear up north. Um, you know, our friends that we met in LA, you know, the, the recumbent people. I mean, just great people. Give you the shirt off their back type people. Um, the scenery, just spectacular. I mean, Alaska, we'd give both of us to go back to Alaska tomorrow, just even to, to try and live there, because it's just. I don't know. It's like Australia. The red dirt up north gets into your soul and there's just something about it. And I reckon it's the same with Alaska for us. So scenery, the, pl- the wildness, the wilderness, the, you know, the living on the edge sort of stuff. Um, spectacular. Yeah, brilliant. And in all your travels, what were the hardest things or the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? The American bureaucracy. <laughs> the oh, that's Americans, nasty. Their government they, 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 they're, they're copping a flogging. Um, the hardest thing, there's probably a number of things. I mean, 24 hours a daylight up north and, you know, living in a different country, they drive on the wrong side of the road and, you know, for us they do anyway. 
Um, you know, the weather was, was interesting at times. The monetary system, you know, there, I mean, there's another thing for, for anyone traveling. Think about the conversion rate of dollars. The money was pretty good when we were there. The Australian dollar was at, at an all-time high uh, or was working its way up. But, you know, even at, at 85 cents to the dollar, you take out $100, you're losing 15 bucks every time. Then, it's the, then the, the American bank takes a couple of dollars because you're using their system. Then your own banking institution takes a couple of dollars because they're converted, their computers have to convert the money. You know, it's all, so you've got to think about that sort of stuff. Um, that, was, that was interesting, hard to get used to. Um, that's probably about it, really. I mean, you know, you take every trip as it comes, and there's no reason not to go back, put it that way. And where's the next trip? I'm sure you can't stay still for too long now. (laughs) I don't know. We're waiting for the next trip to be conceived somewhere. And um, I have a hankering to do South America from uh, the bottom all the way up to uh, back to the U.S. to where we finished the last one and then go across the U.S. and finish that total. I also have a hankering to do um, through Russia and Siberia and and across through, through Europe. And then the other one was to just to go from London to to here, back to Perth. So we'll see. All three of those trips are well, a little yeah. a little more gutsy and adventurous than your <laughs> last. Was, no, right. Not to imply yeah. that going around Australia isn't difficult, but <clears throat> all of a sudden sure. you're dealing with different languages, yeah. a lot of different cultures, and absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's you know some people go in boots and all and just you know they launch into a country that that you know I mean. They don't speak the language. They don't understand the culture. Everything's different. I mean, you know, look look what you guys have done. And for us, it's graduated. We're you know a little bit little bit older and maybe a little bit I wouldn't say wiser, but a little bit more cautious maybe. So you know, things are a little bit harder as you as your body gets a little bit older and your mind gets a bit older. You start to think about things a little bit more. Where as you're younger, you do more uh, more things on the spur of the moment, and you know. It doesn't matter what the heck. We, you get a little bit old, and we're not old. I mean, you know, we're around fifty, not. but but you know, you do start to you do you do start to take on a bit of recognizing your own mortality. You know, it takes me a bit longer to get up that hill. It takes me a bit longer to recover each morning. It takes me a bit more to do whatever it happens to be. I'm a little bit more cautious. You know, um, you know, would you want to be riding through some parts of the Middle East at the moment? You know, certain places, maybe not. So, yeah, we just get stronger and stronger and a bit more educated, a bit more experienced each time. And then, you know, what's the culmination? Who the hell knows? But you still feel that even though you're sort of close to your 50s, you still feel that a bicycle is a good way to travel? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. a lot of people say to us, oh, good you're doing it while you're young. As if once yes. we, I, I don't know what yeah. the age is, but no, once we hit some either. mystical age, we yes. better not do it. Because exactly, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and people said the same thing to us when we went around Australia and even in, even, uh, even in North America. People said to us, oh, it's good you're doing it now because you won't be able to do it later on. And I guess I don't think there's a mystical age. What I think it is is that they recognise that, that they look at their own situation, their own health and their own life, and they go, you know, well, when I was 55... You know, my knee—I blew my knee out, and it's never been the same since. So that's a—that's a something that holds me back now. So I couldn't do what you were doing. So do it while you're young enough to do it, and your body is—you know—will recover. Having said that, you know, there's probably no reason why you, you just can't keep doing it forever. I mean, 
as long as the body holds up, the rest is immaterial. Well, look, I think we have a Christmas lunch to go to quite soon. So any, uh, I, can, I can see the presents being hauled out to the car. <laughs> We're making Joanne do all the work here. Any last words of wisdom? Parting thoughts? Just do it because you're a long time dead. Don't. For me, it was I didn't want to be on my deathbed and think, what if I had done that? And I wonder what it would have been like. So I guess, you know, if anyone's thinking about it, just go and do it. What's the worst that can go wrong? You get run over by a truck and they take you home in a box. Well, at least you tried to, you know, you die doing something you, you, you're enjoying. Or something else goes wrong and you go home through your own choice. Or heaven forbid, you might succeed. Thank yep. you very much. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Well, you've been listening to that interview. We've been walking home and we're now in our temporary home in Perth. And uh, we've got an awful lot to tell you about WA. Oh, we just loved it. Western Australia. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Uh, campsites, wild camping, just everywhere, and uh, animals. Yeah, the kangaroos were amazing. The first day we were in this little national park, and the kangaroos came right up to us. And I think they're quite accustomed to people in that park, but it was still just incredible to be sitting on a picnic table and have the kangaroo just bounce right up and sort of look at you as if to say, Hello, who are you? <laughs> That was great. We've, we've got so much we could tell you about Western Australia and would really recommend it for other cyclists, but we just don't have the time right now to tell you all that. Yeah, we've got to get ready and uh, pack our bikes up and um, put them on a train. We're heading across um, basically to the other side of the, the continent. Yeah, it's such a big country, Australia. I mean, as you heard, Andrew and Joanne took a year or more than that, I think 18 months to go all the way around. I, we could easily do the same. And so we just had to make some decisions, and we said, you know, the Nullarbor, pretty hot, pretty dry in the summer. We're going to give it a miss and go to Tasmania. So that's where we're off to in a couple days. That'll be Christmas on the train for us, and then uh, on a ferry almost straight after to Tasmania. Yeah, we should be uh, in the new year. We should be in Tasmania. Yeah, so the long and the short of it is we've got a few things to do between now and then. So I guess we're just going to say Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy New Year. <laughs>